You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, here we go again. Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras and really quick i want to let you know that starting this wednesday june 20th through june 27th on the trek trail cameras if you enter the discount code 9fc30 starting this wednesday it's only going to be seven days you're going to be getting 30 percent off the trek trail camera that's their newest trail camera so it's going to bring the total down to like a hundred dollars just over a hundred dollars so please go take advantage of that june 20th through june 27th 9fc30 9fc30 now hopefully you guys have been having a great great life since the last time that i've uh talked with you all life got in the way of uh working last week for on this podcast and i tell you what um i don't know if any of you guys have ever had like a life that is so busy that you just man just like this podcast had to be put to the side and i had to reschedule i had some guys change uh on their scheduling and it just did not work out but we're back and we got a full week of podcasts coming this week. Uh, man, I had a t-ball game get moved. Uh, I had a t-ball practice get moved. I had guys, you know, having to change their schedule. I had to change my schedule because of my wife's work and because of my work. So all these things just kind of snowballed to the perfect storm. I didn't get able to, uh, I wasn't able to, to do this, but here we are again. All right, please don't be mad at me because we're back. We're back. Today's podcast, man, we're going to be talking to a guy named Mitch Schmidt. And Mitch is from Wisconsin. And just like we do on all of these podcasts, man, we're going to be talking about whitetails. Uh, this 
you're going to like this podcast because he's had some pretty good success in Wisconsin uh, on a mix of public and private ground. And I think he's only 24 years old. So um, I like talking with guys. You know, everybody everybody thinks that in order to be a good bow hunter, you got to be like 40s or something like that, you know, to be considered good. This guy is sealing the deal. All right. And he's he's uh, figuring out his properties and he's killing really good, respectable deer for the area that he hunts. So Mitch Schmidt out of Wisconsin, he's today's guest. And uh, we talk a lot about whitetails. I mean, we talk, that's all we talk about on this podcast for the most part. You know, we, we dabble in other places, but uh, yeah. So Lone Wolf Tree Stands, right? That's today's commercial. You guys know I'm a like I'm I'm gun ho about Lone Wolf, right? It's the only tree stand that I use, right? Um, it's a badass tree stand. It's made in America, and if you guys want a discount, it's a fifty dollar discount off of all orders over two hundred dollars, and that discount code is nine F C five zero nine F C five zero and you will get fifty dollars off of all orders over two hundred dollars so you buy a set of sticks you get a discount if you buy a tree stand you get the discount so uh, take advantage of that this is the perfect opportunity i mean if you're a run and gun public land hunter man there's no better tree stand than a lone wolf um if you want to be a mobile hunter regardless of if you're on uh private or public ground man the lone wolf system is perfect especially if you're just getting started into you know becoming a mobile hunter uh you know it's it's one of the highest quality tree stands on the market and it's the most functional tree stand on the market Uh, especially for being mobile you need to find the right tree not necessarily the right area you need to find the right tree because if you're five yards off in the wrong tree if you're 10 yards off it could cost you the buck of a lifetime man and trust me when i say i've been in the wrong tree before so enter the discount code 9fc50 and you will receive 50 dollars off of all orders over 200 dollars. there's that now enough with the jaw jacking please enjoy the following podcast with mitch schmidt Three, two, one. Mr. Mitch Schmidt, how you doing today, man? Doing good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. No problem. So I love when I get a, you know, someone sends me a message on uh, on Facebook and they say, hey, let's, uh, you know, hey, man, if, you, if you're down, uh, maybe we could do a hunter profile or uh, something or a BS session and uh, guys start sending me pictures. And, and I just, I love when people send me pictures of deer period, but you know, you sent me some really good uh, pictures of some really good bucks. So I'm interested to hear your story, where you're from, how you do all that stuff. But before we get into all that, where are you from and what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm actually from Port Washington, Wisconsin. It's uh, it's about 25 miles north of Milwaukee. Um, most people don't know quite where Port Washington is unless they've uh, come down here for fishing or something. And I actually, I'm a commercial insurance agent here in town um, for an insurance broker. I graduated last May, so I've been uh, 
in the adult world now for a year so far, and I'm, I'm still making it. So that's a, that's a positive, I guess you could right, say. Right, right. It took me a while to learn how to adult properly. Um, I think it took me until I was about 32 years old to uh, uh, to be a, an adult. Uh, I I was a kid for a very long time. Yeah, I have a feeling I won't uh, be far behind you with that uh, <laughs> low 30s as well. <laughs> so uh, you just graduated college, huh? Yep, yep. I went to uh, Whitewater for four years, and um, which isn't too far away from home, so it's close enough to come home and hunt and stuff. But definitely, uh, if I had the opportunity, I would go back, at least for the social aspect of it. wasn't uh, the biggest fan, I guess you could say, of all the schoolwork, but you got to take the good with the bad, right? Right, absolutely. I did a lot more of the socializing than the actual schoolwork. I don't know if I've ever uh, t- like talked about this in um, on the podcast before, but one thing that I always did, I went to college for four and a half years, right? It took me four and a half years because some of the, the first college I went to, some of the credits didn't uh, transfer over to the next college that I went. So I had to retake some of their classes, some of their 101 classes, so to speak. And out of the four and a half years that I went to college, I only skipped, I want to say, two days of class. One was the day after my 21st birthday. And the second was I decided I wanted to go fishing one day. So other than that, I went to every class. I I guess that's just how I learned. So no matter if I had a raging hangover or if I was tired or whatever, I went to class just so I could say I was there. And, you know, that I thought that that would help fill in for studying. So, you know, the saying that C's di- D or C's get degrees. I am, I'm proof of that right there. <laughs> well, I give you props for that. Cause, uh, I uh, hope my parents will listen to this, but I skipped more than my fair share as well for, for multiple reasons. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and then I look back on it now and I'm just like, if I could do it all over again, I probably would not go to college. Uh, I don't know about you. I just like, I didn't really retain any of the information that I, that I went there. I probably would have went to a trade school and learned how to do something different than what I'm currently doing. But, um, you know, it's not like these days, everybody's like, well, do you have a degree? You need a degree to get this job or whatever. Like where I'm at in my career now it almost seems secondary. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I think I probably would have went to a four-year school either way. Um, I, I even look at it as you know, the degree is important, but even just growing up and the lessons that you learn, like life lessons and that, um, I mean, you can't learn them anywhere else. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's a piece of paper at the end of the day. I mean, I really don't apply many of the actual skills like <laughs> it taught in the classroom uh today so right. and it's funny because me and my buddy's now been out a year and you know how's your job doing you know did that help did that help and it's like well to be honest not really it was more you know i just need a piece of paper to be qualified kind yeah. of deal so that so what you're telling me is that north african hi, uh history and theory class didn't it didn't uh play a role in you getting your job you know I can't say it did. I can't say it did. 
or or world of the arts that was another right. good one learning about all the different pieces of art and that i can't say i get asked about the mozart or anything like that very often so so to continue with this little story here my my fifth semester in college right um I had, uh, so that was when everything caught it. I, I wanted to stay a full-time student so I could get the benefits, right? I needed one class to graduate, but I didn't want my student loans to kick in. And I wanted that, that financial aid so I could, you know, still be a full-time student and still have my housing paid for because I wasn't, still wasn't able to, you know, work a full-time job at that point. Cause the class I needed, it was like right in the middle of the day. And so out of the one, the one class that I needed, I had a, what was it like, like four other classes that I took that were all with freshmen. Um, and I I was like, you know, I was 22 years old or, you know, whatever. And, uh, like the classes was like how to use a computer. And it, and, and I'm not joking on the test was like, what is this? And it was an arrow pointing to a keyboard. So I had to write keyboard, you know, like a, just a complete blow off class. And, uh, right, right. So, you know, it's one of those classes you could do blindfolded, but you know, uh, I, I, there's, there's things about college that I miss. And then there's things about college that I don't miss and, uh, uh memories. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the biggest thing, like I said, I, I just miss seeing all my buddies, and that a lot of them live on like the west end of the state, or you know they're over an hour away. So it's uh, it gets getting harder and harder to meet up, but yeah, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So while you were in college, um, did you still continue to hunt, or you know, like me, I, you know, I hunted whenever I wasn't drinking or chasing women. Yeah, no, completely. Um, I used to actually, because uh, I was in the business school, so a lot of the times um, I wouldn't go home. I'd go home, like, earlier in the season because um, up in here in Wisconsin, it opens, like, the second weekend of September. So I'd usually go first or second week and go try to shoot a doe. Um, then I'd usually try to stay at school and go out and hang out with my friends as much as I could. And then once it got to be um, – once I got to be that last week in October, I didn't have classes a lot of times on Friday. And then I'd work my schedule to where I could leave at like noon on Thursday or I think it was my my senior year. Um, I skipped like Thursday classes for like a month straight. So I'd leave <laughs> Wednesday night on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'd have like a five-day vacation to go home and hunt for the ruts from like the last week in October through, you know, gun season, basically, which is uh, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Um, some of the times I'd stay, you know, for Halloween, because that's always a big thing with college or homecoming landed later. Yeah. Just because those weren't things that I could necessarily make up after, you know, the four years were done. They kind of frowned upon, you know, four-year-olds going out with 22-year-olds uh, <laughs> on Halloween in Whitewater. But, um, no, I, I definitely, I stayed after it as much as I could. And same with turkey hunting. I, uh, Ever since I've been little, as much as I can go with hunting and fishing, it's it's priority even over schoolwork, obviously, from right. what I've said. So. Right, right. So kind of backtracking back in the day, um, did you have a point in your life or an age where the hunting bug hit you and hit you hard? Uh, honestly, I, I can't say there was one distinct moment that, like, all of a sudden that was it. 
um, ever since I was little, I loved to fish. And then once I started getting a little bit older, uh, I will never forget. We all used to go. My one uncle um, kind of got me into it. My parents don't hunt at all, but my mom's um, brother, she's one of ten. So um, three of them hunt. And I will never forget always we'd go rabbit hunting, but I didn't have a gun because I was too young. So I was always a dog. So it was always Mitch, you know, go jump on that brush pile and that brush pile. And you'd go and you'd go and you'd go and you'd finally shoot and it'd be awesome. But by the end of the day, I was just sitting there tired as could be. It was like, huh. But, um, uh, but yeah, we used to go, they used to hang out the deer out by my grandma's house. So it was always cool to wake up. And um, I was always excited to go there and see if there was anything hanging, you know, out from the cable and that. And I just, I just loved it. I mean, most kids at that age would get grossed out, you know, the blood or whatever. And I just... I don't know. I always was obsessed with deer and I, I love antlers. Even like now I'm just a freak about it. Um, so I guess there's no distinctive point, but, uh, I definitely, my uncles kind of took me under their wing and got me going and, um, got me my first shotgun and stuff like that. And I just ran with it from there and really never looked back. Yeah. That's kind of the same with me, man. I, um, my dad would take me fishing, but my mom or my dad back when I was young never took me hunting. And I remember the, the very first animal I ever killed with a gun, uh, other than maybe some BB gun birds, you know, type of thing, like sparrows in a barn. But my uncle took me on a, a pheasant hunt with this dog named, they named this, it was like a really big Weimaraner, uh, God, he was he was a gray lab basically. I'm not. I don't think he was a Weimaraner, but he was this gray lab, and they called him Cujo, and just this <laughs> beat up dog who like would get in fights with the raccoons, and he's got scars all over his face. And anyway, uh, my uncle took the uh, Cujo and me out, and this dog is just like. I don't know, like he's a legend in the area or whatever about getting pheasants up and. Uh, uh, I shot my first pheasant with my uncle. I used to run a trap line with my uncle. It was like my uncle um, kind of was a set the foundation for me as far as getting in the outdoors. And it sounds like uh, your uncles did that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I think I definitely would have gotten into it to a certain extent, but I mean, like I said, without having somebody and I've been lucky with, with that, you know, and having places to hunt that there's a lot of people that don't have that and don't have guidance and, um, that's why like anytime I get a chance to help somebody out, especially like hunting or fishing, you know, a younger kid and that I, I try to help them cause you know, it, it's good for the sport and overall, I mean, it feels good. And even like with Turkey hunting now, especially it, it's more meaningful for me to go out and get one for somebody else than yeah. to shoot one myself. I mean, it's that, that smile you see on their face. You just, you never forget that kind of deal. Yeah. Can you remember your very, the very first Turkey you ever shot? Oh yeah, that is ingrained in my head. Um, it's actually kind of a funny story. I I went out with we have a program down here. It's called the uh, Learn to Hunter, the Mentor Hunt. Um, one of my uncles started it, and it's got to be almost 15 years ago now. And um, you have to be 10 or older. You don't have to have hunter safety, and it's anybody who's 10 or over and has never turkey hunted before. So you could be, you know, 70. You could be 12. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and I, you just have to go through a safety day, which is like, I think eight to noon or something. And then the hunt's the next weekend and you, you get two days unless like some men's will schedule it right around Easter. So you get good Friday off and then you can hunt that Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, 
but we went out a morning and just hammering, gobbling all over the place. And, uh, the birds went down the other side. So we quick snuck around. Um, I was dead set. I was going to shoot a Tom and was not going to shoot a Jake. So my uncle, I think he felt a little pressure to be honest, uh, to get me a bird. So we set up and, um, on the other side of this woods and, uh, a Tom and a hen, my uncle called in. And as soon as this Tom got out from under the brush, um, my uncle got him to bring his head up and I shoot and I just punched it right in the chest, which I don't know. Do you, do you turkey on it all? Yeah. Yeah, I do. You, you just know like more times than not, you punch them in the chest. They're gone. They're, that's just like armor. Yeah. Um, so it flies away. I'm all upset. Oh, I'm never going to get another shot. Yeah. You know, like just, just the world just basically ended for me. Right. Right. You know, I'm sitting there whining and crying basically. Um, so we, we back out and we go to a different part, um, on this farm and we're sneaking around going to this back field and um, all of a sudden my uncle's like don't move here there the, the flock that we had set up on in the morning was in this field already so he got down on one knee and i'm sitting there and i'm a pretty short guy so i'm just sitting there i don't even know you know it's not like i'm gonna stand out like a sore thumb um and he he softly calls and he's able to start to pull a tom away from these hens while then the boss tom and the group he didn't like that so he came kind of charging in after to cut him off um and i shoot and i ended up i got him but i punched him right in the wing but what i'll never forget about it is my uncle gets up as soon as i shoot i put the safety on and he takes one two steps and he falls flat on his face i mean it was just you could not have like written it any better it was the most hilarious thing ever and to this day we still we still laugh about it because he just went down like a ton of bricks but at the end of the day, we got the turkey, so that's that's all that really mattered, I guess. Oh man, I love stories like that. My my first turkey hunt wasn't until I was in my twenties, so I, I was actually in college, and, and my uncle took me. Um, was like, hey, why don't you come turkey hunting with me? <laughs> and, uh, this is so bad, but you know, we, I mean, that Thursday night. Um, that Thursday night, we got all kind of like liquored up. This this is one of those stories. This is one of those stories that you don't want to tell like your children because they're like, oh, th- dad dad used to drink and hunt all the time, which I you know I never did. But so so we would we had quite a bit to drink around the fire that night, and we probably didn't go to bed until like two in the morning, and then you know we're up at four 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 thirty we get down to where we're hunting luckily we didn't have to drive but we just walked down this hill and i can remember being like dazed and hung over and <laughs> but the turkeys it was one of those pristine mornings right the the kind of uh mornings that turkey hunters love and dude they were hammering off the roost off the roost and i can just remember my uncle Set me by this tree. He went and put the decoys out. He set me by this tree, and then he backed up behind me, and he started calling. Well, the you know, these turkeys were responding to his calls, and they were going bananas, and all of a sudden, my stomach just goes, and I had to go number two and so i like it and it's right as the sun's kind of coming up, so um these 
I go into the, this like big batch of weeds, drop pants, try to go number two. And all of a sudden I hear my uncle go, shoot him, shoot him. He couldn't see me. And I, I pop my head out of the woods and there's like four, four to five Jake's just standing, you know, and this was going to be my first Turkey ever. And I wasn't even close to my gun. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm taking a shit. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's hilarious. Yeah, so things have changed since then, but uh, that's that's my first turkey hunting experience. We sh- I ended up shooting a tom about oh an hour later that day, but um, it's one of those stories that I'll never forget. It ended up working out for the better, anyways, and it makes a better story, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so when you got into hunting, you're like when your uncles introduced you, like most people, did you start with a gun and then migrate to a bow? Um, I started off gun hunting. Yeah. Um, but then, so I was 11 when I shot my first Turkey. Um, I'm like five, six now. I'm, I'm a real little thing. So like when I was little, obviously, um, you know, the kick of the gun and that, that, that would have been a lot for me at 10, but I, um, I started gun hunting and then one year later, uh, when I was 13, I got my first bow. I remember I helped my uncle with some chores around the farm or whatever. He gave me a check, and it was straight off the Gander Mountain, and I got my first bow. Um, so I got into bow hunting pretty early on as well, but I didn't actually shoot my first deer with a bow, I think, until I was, I want to say, a junior or senior in high school. So I, mean, I went a long time before I finally actually you know, connected on one. Yeah, yeah. What was, what was so intriguing for you? Uh, I love asking this questions because, you know, some guys are completely okay with just gun hunting, right? Uh, and they, they, they do their one weekend or two weeks a year and they call it good, right? But then you got a group of guys who they may do that still, but they're also bow hunters and, I don't want to say that gun hunters don't have as much passion as bow hunters, but like there's something about bow hunting that will, you'll either go, man, that's too much time, too much work, or it'll hit you and, and you'll go, you know what? I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Did, when was that kind where was that kind of moment in your life? Um, I would have to say probably after I, I always liked bow hunting more just because you could go so much more you know being from the second weekend in september through i think um i'm not sure if it was then but like now we can hunt till i believe it's the last part of january here in wisconsin in the metro subunit we're in okay um but i would say after i shot my first doe with my ball either that junior senior year of high school i mean just the idea of getting an animal that close to you i mean it's just i i think to myself all the time especially when you're trying to target you know a lot of these guys are shooting you know they're after one specific buck you literally have to be within 20 or 30 yards when these animals can go anywhere i just think that that challenge and that idea of you know you have to put all the all the pins in the right places to get it to all fall i just it's it's so cool plus i don't know how it is down in iowa by you but um gun hunting up by us you got about two days where the deer somewhat act normally and then it is the orange army, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. The, the deer don't act like deer, you know, where when you're, you're out there in Halloween, those first week in November, you know, they aren't skittish as long as you haven't pressured them. 
Um, they're doing their natural thing. They're acting like wild animals versus, you know, hiding in the thickest stuff you can and you need to go in there and drive them out to get an opportunity, yeah. which I think that's the biggest thing. Plus, in Wisconsin here, I think the best days of the rut are um, that last week, October, first week of November, at least around where I hunt. Yeah. That that seems to be the best. So, I mean, it, that's bow hunting. And I would definitely consider myself a bow hunter over just a deer hunter. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, the farm, the main farm that I hunt, you know, I better get a deer uh, before our shotgun seasons start because once the shotgun season starts, it's game over on that farm. Uh, yep. They'll drive it and they'll drive it and they'll drive it. I think this year, you know, they, I had a, a group of guys, there was a group of guys in there on first season and then. Uh, the guys who hunted it on the second sh- season, I'm pretty sure they drove the farm three different times. So from there, it's just game over and the bucks disappear until the summer. Uh, and that's it, period. Yeah. Do you, do, I'm curious if yours is similar to ours. Like, do you, do you have a lot of deer that spend time there in the spring and summer and early fall? Or is it more of a rut farm where that last week in October is when it starts heat? I mean, Obviously, it starts heating up, you know, most places late October into right. November. But do you have bucks that, like, mature bucks that live on your property from, you know, spring all the way through until gun season? I would say that on the farm that I hunt, the 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 mature bucks come back in, oh, I got one part of the farm. Like, this, the farm that I hunt is long. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like a block, like a square. It, I'd say it's almost like a, an L, right? If you took an L and you rotated it to the right 90 degrees. So okay. It, so it's laying down with the, I don't know, the stick out part facing facing down. But that's, what, that's how the farm kind of lays out. Now, on the east part of the farm, mature bucks will not show up. They, they show up when the beans are edible and and they start there i would say like july to august is when they all just kind of show up now on the the west part of the farm there's like two or three bedding areas where i think that they come in about about green up where you know they wait for it to get green and then they you know then they show up, and that then they stay until shotgun hunters come in and blow them out to the you know blow them out to the next farm again. So it's almost like right. clockwork. Yeah. I I have a feeling that if the shotgun hunters never showed up, the deer would still leave because it's it's so consistent that that one huge uh, rush of pressure on that farm. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's kind of similar to uh, what we have going on. Um, on the main farm we hunt, I would say, you know, you might have a couple two-and-a-half-year-olds and a a couple of younger bucks that hang around. Um, You usually get, like, one or two that are probably three-and-a-half that are hanging out. But for the most part, um, and I've ran cameras now probably, since I was in high school, I used to have the big C battery cameras that you'd have to change them every two weeks. And um, you get a few nice bucks, maybe, maybe. But until the end of October, it, it... kind of was almost pointless because a lot of the bigger bucks that you'd want to shoot were all on neighboring farms. I mean, I'd see them when you go around and scout uh, end of, or end of uh, August and early September. I like to drive around a lot to see what's all out and about. 
but uh, for the most part, unless unless they're eluding me, I, I would say it's definitely um, clockwork that they show up, you know, end of October, and then they're gone after gun hunting for the most part. I mean, they might stick around a little more now because we don't drive the farm. We used to, we don't anymore. Um, so now I'll have a few more bucks that will hang around. But once the food's gone and that, um, they, they get out of there. They go back to all the neighbors and kind of back to their spring and summer patterns for the most part. Yeah. So have you ever been successful on a late season hunt? I've shot those late season, um, but I have never shot a buck. Uh, I want to say I probably never shot a buck or even drawn back on a buck after uh, the first couple days of gun season. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, and I, I've done the whole, you know, I used to throw corn when it was legal. It's not legal here anymore. I don't think, um, and do all that stuff. And you don't get the pictures. And actually this year, the first year I've been able to plant a food plot. So I'm pretty excited for that and hoping that helps. But I've, uh, I very rarely even see a buck, let alone get a shot opportunity. And it's not like I didn't put in my time, you know, I'd run cameras and stuff, but it's just kind of non-existent. But right. I have an uncle that bought a different farm now, and I think that'll be a different story because uh, we'll have some food plots and kind of manage it more for the deer. Um, so I think that could be that could be good. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. So uh, it sounds to me like you hunt on a majority, or you spend a majority of your time hunting on private ground, like family ground. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've never. I think I've sat publicly maybe once just with a buddy, just for the fun of it. But uh, it's something that I definitely am going to look into. Uh, I have one buddy specifically, and if he listens to this, he'll know who he is. That's all about public ground, public ground, public ground. He just, that's his, that's his deal. Um, so one day I, I would like to shoot a nice buck on public ground, you know, just as kind of a, a check mark off of a bucket list. But uh, at least for the time being and up to this point, it's been all, all private. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what I want to know is, obviously, these public land guys they got they got to fight. Uh, you know they got to fight all different kinds of things throughout their entire season. Uh, and I hunt a, a farm where I have to fight a couple other hunters. I don't. It's not necessarily fighting, but I have to share the property with a couple other hunters. Um, are you one of like the only bow hunters on the, on the farm or do you share uh, archery season with your uncles and, or other family members? Um, I have the majority of it. My, uh, my one uncle is a dairy farmer. So fall, he's really busy. He used to bow hunt more now, not so much. Um, and then my other uncle, he's, he's kind of got the bad shoulders that he uses a crossbow now. So he'll go out every once in a while, but for the most part, when it comes to bow hunting, um, it's me and my brother, which is nice because uh, he's still in high school, so we, we do a lot of that back and forth together. And, um, and then I also have one cousin that um, bow hunts a little bit, but for the most part, they either hunt other properties or they're just busy with farm work and that. So right. um, for the most part, it's me me and my little brother for, for bow hunting. Gun hunting, we're all back there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of a family tradition to go back there, and it, which is awesome. Um we all get along and stuff so it's cool but we're fortunate that for the most part it is just me and my brother there and um we we're both on the same page with things which is really nice because i don't know do you uh do you know the other guys that hunt back by you or is it kind of you gotta 
play which stand you can hunt and not really communicate. Yeah, I mean, we don't really communicate about where they're going to be. I mean, I know that, you know, I, I just ask them, hey, what are you doing? Uh, you know, they're, they're, they take their rut vacation the same time I take my rut vacation. I mean, and I try to find spots to where they don't hunt, but uh, for the most part, they're ladder stand hunters, so they're not very mobile in, the, in their approach. So I can't, I mean, their, their, their tree stands are in one spot all year round. And um, I, you know, I, I just kind of try to find my own little holes in that farm. Uh, but I will be mobile and I do. I, I do flank them sometimes if I, you know, see a buck in the area or trail cameras pick something up and that trail camera is saying, hey, this buck is flanking one of their stands. Hell, I'll go and I'll set up a set right, you know, right where they're, you know, I'd say like 70, 80 yards outside of their range and try to catch uh, a deer flanking their position. So, um, right. but at the, you know, we'll 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 touch base once or twice a year but it's not like what stand are you going to be in today uh what stand are you going to be in today uh, we don't we don't have conversations like that right it's not you're the buddies in that sense or whatever right. it's funny you say that with the ladder stands too because that used to be like strictly what we hunted out of and yeah. now i don't know i'm sure you're the same way i don't know if you could pay me to sit in the ladder stand anymore yeah, yeah. i don't know it's just something about you know i wouldn't mind a ladder stand if I knew it was in some thickness to where the deer couldn't see the latter part of it. Um, right. Yeah. But, but just like the fact that that thing stays in one spot the entire time, maybe on uh, like a good rut spot or in a good funnel or pinch point. But you know, I'm not, I'm not, I remember before I got introduced to lone wolf, I, w I had some, there's a, there's a store in Iowa called farm King. They may, they may even have them up in Wisconsin, but um, it's just a farm store and they sold tree stands that were $55 for a ladder stand. So I would tear that thing up, tear it down and set it up and tear it down and set it up. And then one day I, you know, I got some more money. So I bought another one. So I left one up and then I, I was, I was trying to do a run and gun approach, but with a ladder stand <laughs> and it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't exactly quiet either. No, no. But that that was no, back in the day before I even knew anything. Right. No, and I guess I never, I would say probably last four or five years is when I, I really leaned away from the ladder stands. I just I just think that especially, I mean, there's enough people that hunt around by us. Um, they know. The big bucks know where those ladder stands are. I'll sit in a ladder stand if I'm like trying to shoot a doe over a food source or something like that. But otherwise... Um, either the hang-ons with climbing sticks or my biggest thing, and I've loved it, uh, I have a Summit Viper climber, and I think uh, I think every buck I've shot with my bow has been out of that, and then the one buck that I hit and did fine was out of a hang-on. But otherwise, that climber has been absolute money for me the last four years, five years. So I bought, no, I bought a climber. Oh man, a long time ago. And I couldn't, I, I can't even tell you what the brand was. And I got pretty, I, you know, I practiced with it before the season started up and down, up and down. And then 
I, you know, I, I went in on this run and gun hunt. I knew exactly where I was going to go. And I'm like, okay, I need to be in this particular tree. And of course that tree had this gigantic branch sticking right <laughs> off the side of it at about eight feet. And there's no way I could get, I needed to be past that. Cause I was on kind of a, uh, a slope and mm-hmm. anything that would come off the top would have just picked me off like that. And so I'm just like, I can't use a, you know, like I can't use a climber. So that night I had to go in. um, I didn't see the buck I was after, but I had to go set up in a different tree off of the trail that I was hoping this buck would come through. But that night I saw like four does and like four younger bucks all on that that were working that trail that I needed to shoot. So I was lucky that that I was kind of lucky in the fact that that buck didn't show up that night because I would have hated to watch, you know, a, a shooter walk by when I, I needed to be in a particular tree, but because of the equipment I had, I was forced to go set up in something straight up and down. Yeah. No, and that's, it's actually funny you say that. Cause, uh, one of the bucks that I actually did shoot out of the climber, the first, second one I ever shot out of it uh I was going in there in the morning it was November 1st and uh the cables the tree that I wanted to sit in I had a tree picked out was ready to go um the cables didn't get all the way around it was too big (laughs) so I'm sitting there trudging around through all this swampy crap and whatever and at this point it's almost light out or is light out um a lot of times I shouldn't say a lot of times but I don't know a lot of people probably think I'm crazy for this but a lot of times I'll go in at first light when I know where I'm going. That way I can just get in real quick and I don't make a ton of noise in the dark snapping branches and stuff. Um, so in this case, I, I got in there uh, right at first light and um, couldn't find a tree. So I'm trudging around for probably 25 minutes. I finally get up in the tree. And I think from the time I text, cause I text my dad, man, this is going to be a long sit. I was going to sit all day. From the time I text him to when I called him, Saying I shot a buck, I think it was nine minutes. So, you know, if I would have been able to get in that tree, I would have been kicking myself because he would have walked by, you know, 80 yards away on the other side of the creek kind of deal. That's funny. That's funny. So how do you approach your season? Um, like when you, like right now, right? I always think of the summertime or, you know, I feel like shed season is just kind of a wind down for me when I go look for shed antlers and then this there's this void during turkey season and then right now like right now I'm preparing for this upcoming season what are you doing throughout the year as uh I guess like a whitetail freak um well a lot of times because now now that uh my uncle bought that other farm and stuff um I'm starting to do more now. I also, it's nice with not having college and stuff. I have a little bit more money. I can, you know, buy some nicer stuff, buy more cameras. Um, a lot of times this time of year, I don't do a ton. Um, this year I plan on doing more now that I have the food plot that I can do. Uh, I actually planted, I think it was nine apple trees last week. And I went out today and put cages around them. Um, but now it's just get the cameras out, start running them here in the next couple of weeks. And then I really start ramping up and start hanging stands and stuff come August. It sucks because the mosquitoes are terrible in that, but I like to get them in there at least a month ahead of time. 
Right. Um, and we have a pretty good idea of what happens every year on the farm. So there's, you know, your core handful of areas will hang ladder stands now, or uh, hang climb on, ugh, hang on climbing sticks and hang ons. Um, but a lot of it is just running gun once the season gets here. I mean, especially because the crops for us rotate so much. So there's one field where if it's alfalfa, someone's getting a shot at a nice buck in that field. It just it happens every year. It's, yeah. it's like clockwork. It's just a matter of somebody being there, and it happens. Yeah. Um, when that field is an alfalfa, you know, so it's constantly changing. So we'll hang our handful of five, six sets between me and my brother that we like to sit. And then after that, it's just I do a ton, a ton, a ton of driving around in late August, September, um, we both usually try to shoot a doe first thing uh, within the first couple of weeks. So I'll drive around, scout around, and I guess I would say if I don't shoot a doe within the first couple of sits, I'm doing something wrong because almost every time I go out, especially for does, you know, you know you're going to get an opportunity. I guess I don't, I don't waste the sit and you know the chance of goobering stuff up unless I really think there's a legitimate chance. Yeah. Um, so as far as summer goes, I don't do a ton. This year will be more with the food plot um, between spraying it, working it up, planting stuff and that. So I'll be staying busy. But then um, a majority of it is, especially the last couple of years, running gun, using the climbers, using the hang on. Um, I don't like having to hang stands like, you know, after working that just because I'd like to leave stuff as untouched as possible. But so much changes from year to year um, other than those core couple spots that it's, you know, you just kind of got to go on the fly. Right. Right. So <laughs> I'm looking at a picture you sent me of this baby holding a gigantic <laughs> buck. <laughs> I got to give you a little shit, but <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> how old were you when you shot this 200 inch buck? Uh, I'm going to reverse it. How old do you think I was in that picture? Dude, I'm going to say like 13 or 14 years old. Uh, I was I was 16 um, <laughs> when I shot that buck. <laughs> yeah, and I, actually, I have it on my phone. I always keep it on my phone just because I like the picture. And I mean, if I ever top that, it'll it'll be it'll be something crazy. But uh, yeah, I was 16. And the year before that, it was funny because I shot uh I always, I always had a dead set in my mind. The first buck I shot was going to be something to put on the wall. Like my uncles, when they were younger, they shot everything, you know, the classic kind of Wisconsin deer hunting deal, um, you know, back in the eighties and that, but I always had it set in my mind cause they had a, kind of transitioned to trophy hunting. I was always dead set. I'm only shooting a big buck, only shooting a big buck. So I didn't shoot my first buck until I was a freshman in high school. So that was then, you know, three, four years, um, and I shot like a 150 inch nine pointer and everyone's like, you are not going to beat that. Like that's your buck of a lifetime, whatever, whatever. And, uh, I got lucky. My mom let me hang it in the living room here. <laughs> and I remember that, that morning, that opening morning before, um, in 2010, when I shot that 200, I told her, I'm like, I'm getting one to put above the fireplace now. And she just kind of laughed. Well, then when she got the phone call, it was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> She wasn't even happy for you. She was just pissed because another no, deer I mean, was going to be in her living room. Right. I mean, she was she was really happy. Both my parents, like I said, they don't. My mom turkey. She got her first turkey this year, 
but they don't hunt, but they both full support of, you know, they love when it happens. But, um, yeah, so it was, it was just, I, I, I still, even when I walked up on it, I hadn't, I, I had no idea what I had shot. And I, I still don't think, you know, until a while later, it truly set in. Like, like I was always nuts about big bucks, yeah. but when you shoot something like that at that age, you know, not that I would never obviously take it back, but I almost wish I would have shot it when I was a little older. Cause I yeah. think I would appreciate it a little bit more like in yeah. the moment. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, it ended up, it, it didn't make Boone and Crockett, but, uh, it netted 193 and three ish and the gross 206. So I would say nets are for fishing. Yeah. Uh, so you shot a 200 inch deer when you were 16 years old. Now, you know, I, I like these stories where these kids, they'll show me a picture or I get these Facebook messages of, you know, a dad who took his kid out for the first time and, and the kids, you know, like this 12 year old or, or 13, 14, whatever, shot a little spike or their doe, and everybody's happy. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. But then I hear these stories about guys like you who these kids are like, yeah, I killed a, you know, I killed a 200, uh, 200 inch buck when I was 13 years old. Or, um, and I, there's a little part of me, and I know this makes me sound, you know, like an asshole, but there's this little part of me that is, it just gets like, Man, I've been I've been bow hunting for twenty some years, and yes, I've had an opportunity at some really big deer like that. But I feel like I've had to work for it. You know what I mean? And then this kid comes in and he shoots one. You know, he shoots a two hundred incher, and he didn't do shit for it. And blah, blah, you know, like I'm just making it. You know, I, I don't know. Just no, no, jealousy. I, I, you know I what I mean? Completely, completely <laughs> understand where you're coming from. Um, I mean, I, I've had that same deal where where people say stuff like that. And uh, I don't know. I like to think I'm pretty humble about this stuff. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't go out of my way to brag and that. And I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I shot it with a gun when I was 16. I was, wasn't like I was out here. Like a lot of these guys have been hunting for 25 years. And then they had this buck on camera for, you know, four years. And they finally, you know, got an opportunity. Um, I was, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, it, it definitely luck had a lot to do with that. Um, but, I mean, I guess some guys get lucky and, you know, that's the way it is. It's kind of funny because uh, that year we always have a party the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And my cousin, after I shot that buck, he's like, you have a horseshoe so far up your ass. <laughs> it's not even funny. He's like, you have a golden horseshoe up there somewhere. He's like, it's time for you to pull it out and hand it off to somebody. <laughs> so him and three of my uncles show up with old horseshoes that they painted gold, like necklaces. And, uh, they're like, here, here's your, here's your freaking horseshoe. He's like, thanks for handing them down. And I actually, I took one of those horseshoes and it hangs in my truck, um, in my rear view mirror today. So that thing comes with me all the time when I go hunting. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been really, really fortunate in that sense that it hasn't taken me, you know, a ton of years to shoot some really, really nice deer. And like I said, I have good land. I'm fortunate in that sense. And, uh, I don't know. I try not to take it for granted and let it get to my head kind of deal. Yeah. So I, I just want to have a question I always want to ask, you know, kids or people who shot a giant deer. And, you know, when you talk about numbers, right, Everybody, everybody's like Boone and Crockett's 170. So, oh, you shot a Booner? Or then the next number everybody gets real pumped up about is 200. So as as a kid, a 16-year-old, you shot a 200-inch deer. 
can you remember what your expectations were like that next hunting season? Did they change at all? I mean, were you like, man, I'm not shooting anything but booners from now on? Um, well, like I said, I, ever since I was, I first started deer hunting and honestly, if I could take it back, I would have shot the first buck I saw when I was younger because, um, the only way you get good at killing deer is by killing deer. Yeah. Um, one of my good buddies, dad told me that and anybody, if I would ever start them in hunting and stuff, I would totally tell them, don't be ashamed to shoot a doe, a fawn, whatever. Just, you got to do it to get good at it. Um, I mean, I still black out when I shoot a doe with my ball. It's just <laughs> the way it is. I still get juiced about it. But, um, so I've always kind of had the expectation of, I always wanted to shoot a nice buck. I mean, obviously it's changed over the years from when I was, you know, 12 to now, but I always, I'm, you know, I always thought to anything, you know, I would say back then I probably thought a 110 inch buck was big or, you know, a nice one and 140 was like, holy cow. Yeah. Um, so I mean, my, my standards, you know, were I would say no different than the year before it was, I wanted something to put on the wall kind of do it. That sounds cocky coming from a 16 year old, 17 year old, but I don't know. I guess that's just kind of the mentality I always had growing up. And like you said, had I, you know, I would go back and redo it. I would definitely would shoot the first, you know, fork I saw with my bow and stuff like that. But, um, now it'd be complete, you know, backwards to do it now after shooting some nice bucks. So, yeah, absolutely. So we're coming up on time here, but what I want to know is I want you to tell me one, I want to end this, this podcast with a bow hunting story for you that ended in success and just kind of walk us through, you know, any history of the buck, um, how you went about, you know, getting, getting that deer into range and, and everything that kind of went in with it. And I'm just going to let you take it from here. Oh, uh, well, I've shot, I'm trying to think I shot two, three, shot three bucks with my bow now. Um, I would have to say, honestly, probably my favorite one was this year. I shot an 11 pointer. Um, there's this pinch point on this farm that my uncle got permission to hunt. And then I slowly kind of, I would help the uh, older lady with some of her chores and stuff. Um, so then I slowly got to know her and then, you know, it was, yeah, Mitch can go back there too. And, um, it's just, it's just one of those rut spots where you don't touch it. You leave it alone and you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to see a big buck. I mean, there, my uncle sat in there how many times and it, whether you get a shot or not, it's tough cause it's thick, but you're going to get an opportunity. Um, so we didn't have any, my, any camera picture of this buck or anything. Actually, take that back. My uncle had one. My uncle is big into no cameras. Um, I actually think you had it on Instagram. I forget the guy's name, the die system guy. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, dude, I interv- I interviewed him. Bob, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of some of his stuff definitely I, I don't agree with. Some of it I do. It's it crazy. definitely, you know, helped form some of what I believe in. But um, my uncle is no trail cameras. He completely agrees with that. So he'll have them out to like August and then they get ripped there. There's no more trail cameras out there. So we had one picture of this fucking velvet. Um, you can tell it's going to be a big buck. You know, it was, I want to say it was in July. So it wasn't like, you know, just crazy, but, um, 
one of the few instances where I decided to go out the night before during the rut, uh, one of my best friends, or I should say my best friend from growing up, came back. He did custom harvesting um, all over the United States, and he came back, I think it was November November 4th. That was like the day he got back. So I'm like, all right, I got to go out. It was a Halloween party at a local bar. Um, you know, all of our buddies are going to be out there. I'm going to go do that. I won't go hunting in the morning. I'll go in the afternoon um, instead. So we go, we have a good time, wake up, and, you know, he felt just awesome. Um, <laughs> laid around for a while. And then uh, my uncle's like, hey, you want to go out, whatever? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's let's go. He's like, um, this, this farm has a bunch of pine trees. So he's actually gotten to the point where he sits on the ground and he mows like, he calls it an airstrip. And he, he sits on the ground and waits for these bucks because they love to chase the does through the pine trees. So he, he went back in the pines where he had the, one of these airstrips mowed down. And I, um, I sat in this pinch point between a house and a, a pond. And actually, for a while when the house had dogs, the pinch point went pretty cold. Like, they didn't, the deer just didn't travel through there as much with that disturbance. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I had an itchy trigger finger because I hadn't shot a buck with my bow since 2014. So I had, like, I would say I, it was either a small two-and-a-half-year-old or one-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer come right underneath me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, I, I wasn't going to shoot it, but I'm like, at this point, I'm bloodthirsty. Like, I just want to shoot a buck with my bow. And um, he, he kind of wanders away, whatever. And then uh, I look up, and I see a doe come, come skirting through. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting, whatever. And then she kind of goes away. And you can just tell, like, I'm sure you've seen it too. You know when a doe is trying to like hide, or you know, kind of oh, yeah. like trying to stay away from things. Yeah. And she had that that like body language to her. Um, so I'm sitting there, and this was in a climber, that climber I was telling you about. And the tree I'm in is probably only eight or nine inches in diameter. So like when I stand up, the whole thing sways. But there's no other trees to get into there. And all of a sudden, I look up, and my uncle um, had just texted me. He's like, "Yeah, you know." Um, I had just saw some deer running around or he didn't see him. He could hear him. Um, have you seen anything? I said, Oh, just the one buck in that doe. Well, probably about 25 minutes later, all of a sudden I see a buck way out in the front of me a ways. just got a glance. And it was a little one. Well, all of a sudden if that same doe doesn't come down and she just shoots right underneath me and here comes that a little buck. And then that other buck that I passed and I'm like, Oh, this is pretty sweet. I haven't seen any bucks chasing does, you know, multiple bucks chasing a doe in quite a few years. Um, and then all of a sudden I look up and I just see Rack coming right toward me. And it was like, that is no doubt a shooter. Like, if he stops, he's he's getting shot. So I stand up, grab my bow. Those other ones are around me running around. And he comes into about 20 yards. And I had one gap and I actually had gone up two feet higher in the tree than what I was just so I could shoot this gap a little better. And I don't know about you, every time I try to stop a deer, they never stop dead in their tracks. Yeah. It seems like you almost have to give them a foot or two. He stops dead in his tracks. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So instead of being broadside, he's like a slight, slight quarter two, which I, I don't like shooting that shot, but it was kind of like he was looking right at me. I thought I could slip it behind his shoulder. And um, I shoot, and I think I just absolutely pinwheeled this buck. So I call my dad, call my uncle, whatever, get down. Um, I'm all juiced up. I'm like, I just shot, you know, biggest buck I've ever shot with my bow and that. And um, we let it sit a while, and my uncle wanted to sit a little longer, too, before he was done hunting. 
So uh, get down, start tracking it, and I shoot rages, which I stand by. Um, I lost a buck this year where I think I might have got it with a fixed blade, but that's always an argument me and my buddies have. But I like shooting rages. Oh, so um, so you're one of didn't. you're one of those guys. I am one of those guys. Are you a fixed blade guy? <laughs> no, I just gotta. I don't know. For some reason, I like giving uh, guys who shoot rages a little shit. Yeah, no, well, it's, I mean, me and my buddy have gotten into very heated arguments about, <laughs> about rages versus fixed blades and, and all this stuff. So, uh, it's never gotten to the point where fists have been thrown, but it's been pretty heated. Uh, so we get down and we're tracking this deer and earlier in the week is I had hit the buck that I lost on Halloween. So I was pretty discouraged about that. Um, and we're going and we're tracking, we're tracking and we probably got a hundred yards, which for the most part, I feel if you don't find a deer within 100, 150 yards, I start getting really nervous because if you put a good shot on, I feel like the majority of the time they die definitely within 200 yards. Um, I guess that's just my own personal experience. But the arrow was still in them, didn't pass through. And we're, we're walking along here, and we're tracking them, and it's like, this is good blood, good blood. And all of a sudden, it's me, one of my uncles, and one of my little cousins. And we turn around, and she's sitting back there twirling something. And we're like, what is that? And she's like, oh, I found the arrow back there a ways. And we're sitting there like, well, that would have been important to know. Like, like, <laughs> what do you mean you just found the arrow? Like, me and him were so intent on the blood, we walked right by it. Well, you know, I saw that I had penetration, you know, probably 15 inches, more than enough, um, we keep going, keep going. And I'm, I'm really starting to get nervous at this point. Cause it's like 225 yards. I'm like, if I lose this buck, I'm, I'm going to puke. Like I lost two bucks in, you know, one week. And I, I hate losing deer. I mean, I'm sure everyone does, but I mean, it, it just absolutely bothers me. Um, so we keep going and eventually my little cousin, all of a sudden she's like, Oh, nonchalant as could be, Oh, there's a deer right there. And I'm thinking like we jumped something. Well, here, there it is laying. We're like, oh, you could have been any more nonchalant about this whole thing. <laughs> she found the arrow. She found the deer. It's like, geez. But then, you know, the celebrating begins and high fives and hugs. And um, I still say there, there's nothing better than walking up on that buck you just shot. I mean, that is, that's a high that if you don't do it, you'll, you'll just never understand kind yeah. of deal. Yeah, absolutely. But, absolutely. So that was the biggest buck that you've, uh, They've ever shot. That was the biggest buck I shot with my bow. With yeah, your bow, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, that came in at like a hundred and fifty inch uh, eleven pointer. Yeah, beautiful deer. Looked uh, and I can from the from the picture. The, I mean, it looked like it's a mature buck too. I mean, the the front shoulders just you know they got that extra skin, the big defined muscles, like just a a, a huge front end on them. No, I would say. Um, it's actually funny too, because just a couple of weeks ago, my brother goes to school with a kid who hunts just, uh, I don't know, it's maybe crow fly three quarters of a mile away. And he had pictures of him the last two years. And you could definitely tell the year prior to last year, or no, it would have been two years prior to last year's pictures. Um, definitely was at least a two and a half. So I would say it was at least four and a half or five and a half. Yeah. Um, for sure. Which, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm, I hold hard to four and a half or nothing because a really nice three and a half hill goes by. It's really hard to pass up, especially um, in our neighborhood. We have a lot of little pieces and I guess, you know, 
you can't have the mentality of you don't shoot at the neighbors will, but right. um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to pass up a big three and a half year old still for me. So absolutely. Absolutely. So this year, any bucks that, uh, that, you know, kind of made it through or hoping made it through that this year, like, man, I'm going to, I want to, I really want to see this deer on the hoof again. Um, there is a buck. There's, there's, there's a handful of bucks that will definitely be either shooters or right on the edge of it. Um, there's two of them though, that I am really, really excited for. Um, the one of them I've actually never gotten pictures of, and I have never seen, I've seen him in summer a couple times, um, but I, I'm pretty good buddies with all the neighbors and stuff, and they've seen him in that, and he is going to be a stud. And then there's another one that, uh, no, I give my brother uh, props because this bug is probably, probably 115, 125-inch in that range. Uh, Two-and-a-half-year-old just looks like a little dog with a huge rack on it, pretty much. He's got brow times that are probably eight, nine inches tall. Um, he passed that buck and actually shot like 145-inch nine or 10 pointer, um, at that same night he passed it, but I'm, I'm obsessed with that deer. Um, he showed up in October last year, uh, late October, the neighbors had a bunch of pictures of him. So he'll be at three and a half this year, but he's just got the makes of, he's got makes similar to what my 200 is. And I just think that he's got the potential where he could turn into a world-class deer. Um, if he gets to it, I hope he wises up a little bit this year because I know the neighbor could have shot him once or twice. My brother could have shot him. A lot of daylight pictures of him. So I hope he wises up. But uh, that too, we'll see if if he's 140 inches. You know, I probably would take a poke just not knowing if he'd make a huge jump the next year. But uh, it's going to be awfully interesting if he shows up and he's 155, 160 inches as a three-year-old. Um it's going to be a tough decision. Do you let him go and right. get to that world class or so we'll see who knows. Maybe he got hit by a car. I hope not, but yeah. And I tell you what, I guess what, that's part of, part of the game. Sounds like one of those bucks where you, you, you want him to show up on trail camera and stay at your farm, but you don't want him to walk by your tree stand at all that year. Yeah. Just, that is, that just, is an absolutely perfect way to put it. <laughs> so just so you, just so he makes it through the next year, or like, God, exactly. I, I really hope this buck stays nocturnal the entire year. Yeah. And he, like I said, for the most part, he hung out by the neighbors all the summer and in early fall and they won't shoot him. I know, um, we're pretty much on the same page with, I mean, we don't meet and say this is a shooter. This isn't the word, you know, on the same page with a lot of that stuff. And, you know, we're good buddies. Um, and then, like I said, late October, he showed up by us. And I think I had him all the way to late December. And then he disappeared and started going back. He went back to their farm. So between the two farms, you know, all it takes to one hot dough and, um, you know, yeah. one guy to shoot him, but, at least he he's staying in the neighborhood if he does what he did last year um where i think he could have a good chance of getting another year for sure so we'll see cool, man. we'll see what happens hopefully he gets lucky like you said absolutely well i tell you what mitch man i i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh hop on the podcast and uh bs with me a little bit and good luck this upcoming season no thank you for having me it was a blast uh, and good luck to you too and there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Mr. Mitch Schmidt for hopping on and sharing his stories with us today, man. Really appreciate that. 
Huge shout out, as always, every single podcast to you, the listeners. You know, if this, you know, if you weren't listening to this podcast, this podcast would probably not exist. So thank you for that. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast Exodus Trail Cameras, Wasp Broadheads, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime Archery, Ripcord Arrow Rests, and Ozonics. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Big news coming up uh, in the next month with we've got some new partners hopefully joining the team. You know, uh, the business side of this thing, you know, you got to work out deliverables and all of this stuff. And I actually plan on having a podcast uh, here coming up about how the business side of the hunting industry kind of works, especially with media like myself, with so many of you guys emailing me on a regular basis saying, hey, man, um, you know, how do I start a blog? How do I get paid for it? And so forth and so on. And uh, we're going to have a podcast about that. But again, from the 20th to the 27th of this month, Exodus is going to be running a special on their Trek trail cameras. It's going to be 30% off and it's going to be 9FC30. That's going to be the discount code. Uh, take advantage of that, guys. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail RSS feed and the Western or the Big Game Western feed as well. All you have to do is wherever you download your podcast, just search Sportsman's Nation. It will bring up two RSS feeds, one for whitetails, one for big game. And all you got to do is subscribe to them. And uh, again, you get a ton of great content coming to your ears from our mouths. And with the new YouTube channel up and running, it's the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. We're going to be putting out, I got a vlog coming up here pretty soon. Um, you know, as soon as I can get out and start uh, recording some content, which is going to be here pretty soon, um, I got, I'm going to be putting out some vlogs. We have the Sportsman's Nation blog that's coming up. We, we got some new writings that are up, uh, some new articles that are up. So be sure to take advantage uh, of that content as well. I'm telling you, um, Stay tuned because the Sportsman's Nation is going to start doing some really kick-ass things, and I can't wait to share that with you guys. Um, with that said, social media, right? Facebook, Instagram, not only for the Nine Finger Chronicles and all the podcasts and partners, uh, content partners on the Sportsman's Nation, but the Sportsman's Nation itself, right? Um, there's going to be, like I said, a lot of great content coming, and I want you guys to all be a part of that. And if you think that you may want to be a content provider, uh, you know, honestly, I, I would love to start one, possibly two, maybe even three more um, Western big game blogs. So, or uh, not blogs, but uh, podcasts. So if you know someone out West who's a fanatic elk, mule deer, antelope, or just all around Western hunter, please, 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 please put them in, in put them in contact with me and uh, if they've had any interest in starting a podcast man uh, they should start it on the sportsman's nation i'm talking too much go leave a review on itunes or wherever you download your podcast and if you're going to be in a tree hanging sets man wear your damn safety harness have a good week <laughs>